covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Have you for the next hour or so as we talk all things Brewers baseball. This is a fun podcast. We have a lot uh, in store for you, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. First off, our normal uh, housekeeping stuff to take care of. Uh, If you want to get in contact with me, multiple ways to do so. The easiest way is to tweet at me, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air, all one word, as you would expect on tweets. We now have 280 characters on Twitter, so Lord knows what uh, what I'm going to be able to uh, tweet out now. But that's the best way to get in contact with me. If you don't follow me on Twitter, I'd love for you to do so. If you can't or don't or whatever, it's fine. You can tweet at me without following me. That's fine. And uh, I'll certainly uh, respond to you uh, no matter what. If you're not on Twitter but you still want to reach out, whether you just want to comment on something that's said during the podcast or maybe even uh, have a, a general comment about the podcast, feel free to drop me an email, matt.pauley, M-A-T-T dot P-A-U-L-E-Y, at WTMJ.com. Also, I say this every week, and you guys have been great, uh, but I'm going to continue to say it. Uh, If you could take uh, just five minutes, not even five minutes, if you do listen to the show on Apple Podcast and you want to leave a review for the podcast, that helps us out in terms of uh, getting us up in the rankings and helping people find us and everything. And uh, we want people to listen to the podcast. We think we, uh, not so much me, but the people I have on the show bring some uh, some great stuff. So uh, feel free to leave some uh, reviews on uh, the podcast, and uh, that'd be great. And if you uh, if you are on Twitter and you want to retweet it when the tweet goes out that the uh, podcast is live, that's great as well. The more, the merrier, right? All right, uh, here's what we have on the program today. We're doing a double segment with uh, one of my favorite guests that we have on the program, the editor over at BP Milwaukee, Nicholas Zettel. Uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of things in the normal social media conversation segment. And then uh, Baseball Prospectus just released their uh, Brewers uh, prospect list. Well, their prospect list across baseball, but obviously we'll stick uh, with the Brewers. And we'll kind of dissect that, also compare it to uh, last year's list and see uh, what guys moved up, what guys moved down, uh, so on and so forth. So that's all going to be coming up in just a little bit. And a quiet week. It's going to continue to be uh, quiet until free agency uh, really starts to pick up. But uh, a few things to get to in our headlines. I want to start with this, and it makes reference to uh, one of the few headlines we had this past week. But manager Craig Council is not one of three finalists for the National League Manager of the Year Award. Which is a bummer. I was actually a little bit surprised about this. I thought that uh, he would be one of the three. I wasn't expecting him to win it this year. But I was expecting him to be one of the three. And uh, Dave Roberts from the Dodgers, uh, the Diamondbacks' uh, Torrey Lavallo, and also uh, Bud Black from the Colorado Rockies are the three that are on the list. And nothing against those guys. They all did really nice jobs this year. I'm someone that the overwhelming thing that I judge a manager on when looking at the Manager of the Year award is taking the expectations of the season and then seeing what they actually did and giving credit to the manager for leading a team to exceeding expectations. Now, that's not 100%. Sometimes things happen where 
uh, you know, maybe there's some adversity on the team and they help uh, a manager helps a team, you know, go through a certain situation. You take that into consideration. I think you look at Dave Roberts this year. Obviously, there were major expectations for the Dodgers going into this season. But, you know, it's not that they really exceeded expectations. But my goodness, they won 104 games. Of course, he's going to be on that list. In fact, I think he will win it and I think he should win it. I'll explain that a little bit more in just a moment. But for the most part, I think the, the 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 overwhelming thing that you look at when you are judging a manager for a manager of the year award is the exceeding expectations. And you exceed expectations by having a certain level of talent on your team and playing beyond what that talent was expected. And you look at specifically the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Colorado Rockies. And look, I get, I get it. The Diamondbacks and the Rockies both made it into the postseason and the Brewers didn't. Maybe if the Brewers you know, win that extra game and get into uh, game 163 against the Rockies and, and get in. Maybe it's uh, Council that's on the list and Bud Black who's not. And, you know, that that I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. Although, I mean, Craig Council did a better job with his team than Bud Black did. That's not taking anything away from Bud Black. He did a really nice job. But Craig Council did a better job. And I think when you look at these teams, you know, the Brewers had, going into the season, the Brewers really had one name player on the team and that was Ryan Braun he's the only guy you know you you go to like an average sports fan who's not a hardcore baseball fan especially at the beginning of this season and say name a Milwaukee Brewer they're gonna say Ryan Braun and you say name another Brewer and they're gonna go uh yeah there's a lot of people that wouldn't be able to name that second Brewer I think that's a little bit different now with the performances of this past season so that's a that was a view going into the 2017 season not coming out of the 2017 season but that's not the case with the Diamondbacks. Whether it was you know Paul Goldschmidt, a J.D. Martinez who admittedly joined the team late into the year, uh, a Zach Grinke. You know, there, there's guys on the team um, who who are household names in sports. Same deal with the Colorado Rockies. Whether it's a Nolan Arenado or a Charlie Blackman, even a D.J. LeMahieu, I think, has moved into uh, into that as well. And the Brewers have one of those guys, or they did have one of those guys. So the expectations and what the team did and the individual performances that were so much better than anybody expected is one reason that Craig Council deserves to be among the three finalists. And it's a, it's a bummer. I mean, look, it's I don't think he was going to win the award, so does it really matter if you're in third place or fourth place because he, he absolutely – was right behind uh, Bud Black and all that, so it doesn't it doesn't matter that much if you where you end up uh, in third or fourth. But it would have been nice to see Craig Council get honored for that. Here and here's my I've taken some uh, I've taken some some negative criticism on my take on Dave Roberts that I think he deserves to win the National League Manager of the Year. If I was a voter, I would have voted Roberts number one and Council number two. And it would have been a little painful for me because I cover the Brewers on an everyday basis. But if I had a vote, if I was a baseball writer that had a vote, I would have gone Roberts 1, Council 2. And I just think 104 wins is so overwhelming. And people are out there going to say, look at the roster, look at how much money they spend. Of course they should be winning that much. I don't care who you have on your roster. It's not easy 
to have a team win 104 games. That is a major, major, major accomplishment. So that's why I would give it to Dave Roberts. But Craig Council certainly deserving, and hopefully uh, if the if the Brewers continue to continue, if they are a playoff team this upcoming year, hopefully we're talking about Craig Council maybe winning this award. All right, here's what we got coming up on the program. Again, a double segment this week with uh, Nicholas Zettel from BP Milwaukee. But before we get to that, it is time for this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. All right, so the big headline, uh, we hit one of them, for the fact that Craig Council is not one of three finalists for the National League Manager of the Year Award. Also, award season not good for Zach Davies as uh, he does not win the National League Gold Glove for a pitcher. That goes to uh, Zach Grinke instead. Uh, so no awards here uh, for the Brewers. Now, uh, big, somewhat big news coming uh, courtesy of Adam McCalvey over at MLB.com and Brewers.com uh, saying that the Brewers uh, looks like there's a pretty pretty likely chance that the Brewers are going to uh, put together a deal and sign an agreement to continue spring training in Maryvale for uh, another uh, 25 years. And there had been some talk about them moving to another facility well there is a proposal where the brewers would overhaul the entire spring training facility the brewers would spend somewhere between 41 and 63 million dollars the city would contribute $10 million over the next five years to the renovation, and then they would also continue the support uh, with the uh, cost, uh, operational cost, which are about $1.4 million. So you're talking about the city giving $10 million over a five-year period plus $1.4 million annually. So basically what it would look like is for the next five years, the city would have to pay, what, $3.4 million, and then after that, it would go back down to the $1.4 million, while the Brewers are going to put north of $40 million, as much as $63 million in, and also uh, continue to uh, contribute annually some other monies for some other things. Uh, again, you can I encourage you to read this over at Brewers.com because this is very, it's, uh, there's a lot of details of it. But uh, the, some of the details... There would be a construction of a new building along the first baseline that would house the Major League Clubhouse, also training and video facilities that are better. Right now, the training and video facilities in Maryville are not uh, especially good. There would be a wider, shadier first base concourse uh, and a new uh, kids area. There would be an expansion of an existing practice diamond to the east side of the complex. That would be moved into a full-size field. And interestingly enough, that full-size field would completely mimic Miller Park, even with the heights of walls and everything. It would be Miller Park on that back field. Uh, The existing building that has the Major League Clubhouse, that would remain and in all likelihood would become the Minor League Clubhouse. Uh, They want enhanced parkings, also some new uh, landscaping. The Brewers will continue to uh, contribute $50,000 annually to the City of Phoenix's youth program to fund free swim admission at city pools. And uh, the Brewers would also partner with Grand Canyon University to provide uh, free tutoring to local students. So those are the deals. Uh, This still needs to be approved. There's going to be a meeting on November 15th. So what that is coming up on Wednesday. 
there's going to be a meeting on Wednesday of the Phoenix City Council where they would need to approve this. If it is approved, according to Adam, uh, this would be the Cactus League's first stadium renovation that's funded primarily by a major league team. So you would think the city of Phoenix would be smart enough to uh, go forward with this. This seems like a better deal for the city of Phoenix than it does for the Brewers, although it's good for the Brewers because they finally get a spring training complex that's up to uh, major league standards. Uh, if You never know when you get into city politics what for what reason, especially when it's involved in sports. You know, there's a lot of politicians out there that want nothing to do with sports. I hear it all the time. I hear people who are still upset about uh, the the public paying for uh, for Miller Park, you know, 20-plus years ago. There's people out there. I get these calls on my show on WTMJ. Uh, there's people out there that refuse to go to Brewers games. They claim to be Brewers fans, but they refuse to go to Brewers games because – of the uh, the tax situation with Miller Park, and the same people are saying the same thing about the Bucks and their new stadium and the uh, the public spending. So who knows? It's sports. It's uh, public money. That's always a crapshoot on what's going to be uh, accepted because the city of Phoenix would have to pay a little bit extra for uh, the next five years, but it seems like a pretty good deal. Uh, hopefully we have more information and that this uh, this deal gets done coming up on Wednesday and on next week's podcast we'll have more information and uh, then that would be part of next week's headlines of the week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their tips. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers X Journeys, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation. And again, as we uh, continue uh, all of our shows, really, since the season has come to an end, we're talking to uh, all of our core contributors for our social media conversation. And today, uh, we welcome on for uh, the first time since the season did come to an end. He's the editor over at uh, BP Milwaukee. His name is Nicholas Zettel. Nick, it's great to talk to you. How are you doing today? Matt, it's great great to be back. Um, thanks for having me, and uh, it's uh, really exciting to, to talk Brewers right before the meetings, uh, the, uh, the gym meetings. We're, we're going to spend a lot of time on the offseason and free agency and potential trades, even get into uh, the latest uh, prospect rankings that were put out by Baseball Prospectus. But before we get into any of that, I just want to take a quick moment and reflect back on the season, because as I've been having uh, people on every week, the first question I've asked them, and it you know, it seems like the season's been over forever now, but as you do reflect back on the 2017 Brewers campaign, what's the what's the item or what are the, the few things that really stand out to you about this year's team? Um, I think what stands out is just how close they really were to the playoffs. And I think no matter how you look at that, whether you look at that as an unexpected success, whether you look at that as something they could have done better with um, and and made a stronger push to the playoffs. However you look at that, the big item you have to see is that this is is a playoff roster going forward, um, or playoff organization, rather, that can build their roster. Um, they, they, They now have a mandate, I think, they can build their roster with the best talent possible and uh, that's a pretty exciting development when you think about the fact that they're going to be um, bringing up the next wave of young talent from the minors at the same time. So I think you're, you're going to have this collision of both worlds in a way that 
I don't think many people really expected this to happen when the Brewers said that they were rebuilding the franchise. So it's it's a pretty pretty big takeaway from 2017 that they're already um, they're already in that playoff hunt. Most people expect this to be a very interesting offseason for the Brewers. I think a lot of people think, especially from a starting pitching standpoint, they have to bring in some established starters. How much different is this offseason going to look like based off the success of this team this past year as opposed if they would have had another 73, 75, even 80 win kind of season? How much different will this offseason be because of their success? I I honestly think that's a really tough question to answer because if you look at both of uh, GM David Stearns' first two off-seasons, um, both of them were completely different already. So he had the, he had the super active, um, he had the super active off-season going into 2016 that kind of completed the rebuild. And then um, going into 2017, he, he kind of went a completely different avenue acquiring talent. So, I think you could make a pretty good argument anyway that this offseason wasn't going to look like any of the other ones to begin with. So, uh, And I think the fact that he now has a chance to build upon a winning team is going to compound that. So I think the difference is, is you're probably going to see him open up the wallet a little bit more. And uh, But I don't think that's going to stop him from making the types of moves he probably already wanted to make. The two big things that have happened in the course of the offseason so far, Eric Sogard back on a one-year deal, and uh, Chase Anderson comes back, and if they pick up all the club options, they've essentially uh, bought out the arbitration years plus one year of free agency. Um, I thought, you know, even if Chase Anderson doesn't improve a lick and just continues to do what he did this past year, that looks like a really good contract to me when you see you know pitchers making upwards of $20 million a year. Did, did you like that move? You know, I went back and forth on that move. I think um, it's great to see them sinking money into the into MLB players. So from that aspect of it, I'm really happy that um, that Anderson got that deal. But uh, it's actually it's kind of interesting for a small market team to give up that option of um, using using the arbitration for the. Um, the basically the ability to non-tender players as well. So basically, yeah. as long as Chase Anderson was in arbitration, they would always have an opportunity to cut him loose without um, without spending any money on that. So this this actually changes that, which is fine. That's actually I I really don't have a problem with that at all. I think it's great that they're investing money in one of their best starting pitchers. I just think it's kind of a shift in operating for them uh, based off the last three seasons, and so it's. It's welcome in that regard, and uh, it just makes it a tiny bit more risky. Um, I mean, he has to he has to produce now, but that's that's not really necessarily a bad thing. You uh, you wrote a piece on him, and you made reference to a few things. The fact that uh, age 29 season is when his breakout took place. It took him 418 major league innings before getting uh, to that point, uh, not throwing a slider, according to, uh, according to Brooks Baseball, uh, as I read from your piece. Uh, so is that are those some of the items that maybe you think that they might be in a position where if they would not have offered this deal, he would have potentially been a non-tender candidate, if that makes sense? You know, I thought he was a non-tender candidate. I thought he was one coming in the last season, um, which I thought was quite interesting. And mind you, I don't. I actually really like Chase Anderson. I think he's 
Um, he's shown some, some in-game interviews and some news interviews. He's a really smart pitcher, and he obviously he deserves all the credit in the world for making adjustments uh, along with the coaching staff and then implementing them on the mound. Um, but you look at his career, he's kind of one of these inning-eating guys coming into 2017. He's never really been bad, but he's also never jumped off the map either. And so this is this is quite a huge development for him to be. He's, he's basically a top 10 pitcher right now um, based on his runs prevented um, in the 2017 season. So it, it's just, it, it's tough to see going forward. And I think this is why a lot of people supported the deal. It's tough to see him being a non-tenter candidate going forward. So I think that's, that's why that deal looked so, so solid, but it's, um, I, I always go back and forth on that, just given the volatility and, and his history as well. But um, I'm really happy to be continually proven wrong by, by Anderson. I hope he does it for the next four years. Is it um, – are we – how much do you trust David Stearns? Because, he, I mean, he's hit, he's hit on most decisions like these. He did not hit on Neftali Feliz. That was uh, – that ends up being a mistake. But it's hard to think of other moves that were made by Stearns that have been moves that just have not worked at all. Uh, they they seem to be very strict to believing uh, in their scouting and their you know whatever algorithm they use to to assess guys. It, it seems to be somewhat successful. So when you look at a deal like Chase Anderson's, where you are committed, you know even if it's a, a team friendly deal, you are committed to a fair amount of money for uh, an extended period of time. Uh, are you at a point where you? are very trusting of the scouting process of the Brewers front office, starting with Stearns? I think I would, I would say that, that I would scout, I I would trust their scouting process. Um, I think what, what will be the test of that? I think is what they do agency and what they do via trade now, because what I really want to see them do is they've got, They've got this breakout now um, with Chase Anderson, and then they've got another breakout with Jimmy Nelson, where what they did in both of these cases, they implemented very specific mechanical changes and very specific pitch selection changes. And I know a lot of people always go back to small sample sizes and small sample size that, but the fact of it, the fact that remains is that the Brewers now have two two examples that they can draw from of where these types of decisions about how to change someone's mechanics and how to change their pitch approach succeeded. And um, we all, we know from Doug Melvin's um, tenure with the club that they've been keeping data on this for about a decade. They have at least a decade of biomechanical research to draw on. So they now have these, these additional seasons from 2017, these successes that they can look at along with a, probably a decade or more worth of data um, from the Melvin era. And it, it, it's just a matter of how they apply these victories moving forward. So as I see it, they can make, you know, like you said, entering, entering the show that they, they've got a, they've got a bolster starting rotation this off season. And this is exactly how they do it. I think if you really want to, if you really want to see Stearns make a stamp on the team, it's going to be by applying the lessons from 2017 of the, these successful pitchers and, and finding the right guys to plug into that system. So there's going to be some head scratching deals from this. And I think there's going to be some interesting depth signings as well, but that's going to be, that's going to be the test. Um, 
So I, I would like to see them be even more aggressive with their with their lessons. Like this is this is something that they can use um, to really make the limited dollars in Milwaukee go as far as possible. One of uh, the podcast listeners, his name was Sean, tweeted at me after last week's show, and his tweet to me was. Chase and Jimmy have gotten a lot of press. Zach Davies had 18 wins and not much talk, and then he asked me to fix this. I We can all agree that the the win-loss record of a starting pitcher is probably the one statistic that that it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme. It's You can pitch really poorly and still end up winning a game if your offense goes out and, and plays well, and that happened a lot with Zach Davies. There was, especially in the first half of the season, there was a lot of times where he did not pitch well and he still won games. So we do discount um, wins and losses, I think, when we're assessing pitchers' ability, but are we not talking about Zach Davies as much as we should be? Um, it's hard to say because I'll, I'll have to go back and do a search. I feel like baseball. I feel like BP Milwaukee, at least our guys were were pretty good on Davies. Um, I, I at least hope so. Look, thinking back on it, um, but I would say it, it's tough with a guy like Davies. I think he he's actually gotten. I think I think he's gotten just enough love that like fits his profile because. Because what he is, is he's this middle rotation, he's this middle-low rotation guy. In fact, if you remember when he came up, he was supposed to be a back-end rotation guy that even had question marks because of his size that he might become a bullpen arm. And so the main issue in 2015 was, could Zach Davies even be a starting pitcher for a sustained amount of time? So he's consistently answered that question, and... um, if you're looking at 2017, I've got the uh, baseball prospectus team audit open here, and according to Deserve Runs Average, which is a statistic that takes um, contextual aspects of pitching into consideration, he was even better than Chase Anderson last year, um, and he actually challenged Jimmy Nelson. He was he was just about as valuable as Jimmy Nelson last year. So the question is about Davies: is do you want to hype that? Do you want to hype that in a way to say that Davies is an ace and you've got you've got to put all that pressure on him, or do you want to be happy with him solidifying that middle rotation role? And you say, you know what? I guess these middle rotation guys are going to be unheralded forever. But the fact of the matter is, if he keeps this up, by the time it's his payday um, with arbitration and then his free agency contract, he's got Scott Boris as an agent. And those those successes are going to speak very loud, loudly in terms of dollars and cents. So I think eventually, if he keeps this up, he's gonna he he's not going to have much to complain about at all in terms of recognition. He'll have a really solid career contract to um, to basically serve as uh, a, like I guess a, a sign of his prestige. So he's just he's just a good guy, and I think sometimes sometimes players just don't get hyped a lot, but I, I don't necessarily think that means he's underrated. I think we're talking about Zach Davies just just about as much as we need to be. We're talking with uh, Nicholas Zettel. He is the editor over at uh, BP Milwaukee. BPMilwaukee.com uh, is the website. It's a great website with all kinds of uh, brewers. Just the stuff that they – a lot of it goes over my head as, as I try to continue to uh, immerse myself in advanced numbers, but uh, they do great stuff. Uh, the the – they need, as we said earlier, they need to go out and get at least one, maybe two, established starting pitchers, and at least one really front line starter, a number two, number one type starting pitcher. 
I have a hard time believing that the Brewers can go get into a, um, you know, kind of a, a, an arms race with another team where, you know, a bidding war with another team for a pitcher. Is the better opportunity to go bring one of those guys into Milwaukee going to be on the trade market? I think the trade market is it's going to be interesting to see what they're going to pull the trigger on because, quite frankly, if if they were not willing to use one of their best prospects to pick up Sonny Gray or Jose Quintana during the middle of the season, um, you have to wonder who they're looking at that would be better that they would that they would really want to um, expend those prospects on because. Really, I guess there's only a couple of arms that would be better than those two guys that'll also be on the trade market. So I'm kind of skeptical. So maybe, maybe Stearns really is holding out, and he knows there's really only there's really only one guy that he would trade for using his top prospects. Um, but that being said, I think uh, this free agency class doesn't get a lot of love, but they have a there's a lot of really good depth arms in this free agency class. There's there's about three or four guys. That I can think of, but if the Brewers just went out and got those guys, it wouldn't necessarily cost terribly much, and they they could build that back end of the rotation out in a way where they could be competitive pretty much every day of the season. You know, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have the impact of a guy like Jake Arrieta or a trade candidate like everyone wants Chris Archer from the Rays. But I have a hard time believing someone that impactful is going to come back in a trade. Um, just given what happened during the middle of the season with Quintana and Gray. So I, I think we shouldn't undersell the, the free agency class with, with those depth arms. There's and you're right, I mean there's some there's a lot of guys out there who seems like they could fit well with the Brewers, but when we're talking about the top of the line free agents, you know, the the Jake Ariettas, can you know MLB trade rumors has, has connected the Brewers to uh, to a Jake Arrieta. Do you see a scenario where they can be the team that can go out and get one of the the single top free agent pitchers that's available? So the tough thing about that is, I think I think they absolutely could um, because they have they have a lot of free payroll right now. They there there's really not that much that the team has to spend for really the next four years. So, so yeah, in terms of just basic contract, the Brewers absolutely could be the club that, that gets Darvish or Arietta just based on money. Um, now, the question is, I think you've got to go back to those pitching mechanics and you've got to go back to those injury histories and all that and say, uh, and the front office's analytics and scouting, and you say, does the scouting approach in the front office the, does their process equal Jake Arrieta being the best fit for the Brewers? Is there someone that if they have this, if they are going to be a true analytic front office and trust trust their own process and their own observations and their own development system, are there better guys on the free agency market that they might get for a little bit cheaper, a little less name recognition, but that they could plug into the system and make work in a, in a way that helps the club compete? So I think that's a question because, like, if you look at Jake Arrieta's pitching mechanics, that's going to be a tough. That's going to be a tough thing in Milwaukee. He's a great pitcher. I really like Jake Arrieta a lot, but I think 
he's the type of guy that could just go off the rails one season if the levers aren't working the right way on that delivery. He has a really elaborate delivery, and he's very athletic and can make it work. But he he's going to be a risky guy in that regard. So it's it, you got to look at all aspects of it. I think for for the Brewers front office, and I just question whether or not they could find better better value. One of the other needs this offseason is at second base. I think we can all agree that Eric Sogard is not going to be the everyday second baseman. Uh, we Nothing has really been officially said about Jonathan VR, but I think most would assume that he's not going to be given the second base job the way he was last year. What are your expectations for the way the team handles second base going into this season? You know, you mentioned trades before, and I feel like second base might be Second base might be the place where they make a trade. Um, I know uh, JP Green has has stated on Twitter he he had a great idea about bringing D Gordon, or he said basically he would support a D Gordon trade in some regard. Uh, I I don't know how he just kind of threw that out there, so I don't know if it was like a super serious. It's not like necessarily tying Gordon to Milwaukee, but that's that's an example. If the Miami Marlins are truly going to rebuild that's a type of trade that could be great for the Brewers that it wouldn't necessarily be as expensive as getting a top impact arm, but it's probably going to be very important for the club to have second base locked up for the next three years. Um, So that's, that's the type of move that I think would be much more likely than the Brewers going out and trading for someone like Chris Archer. All right, you just used the word rebuilding, and I want to finish off with this uh, before we get into the uh, the prospect uh, rankings here uh, in our next segment. But uh, you wrote a piece about a week and a half ago, and the headline was "Rebuilding is a Scam." And I read it, and it was we've talked about the the way minor leaguers are treated uh, in terms of pay and everything, and it's not it doesn't seem fair. There's a there's some social issues in the world of baseball, which. It's kind of funny when you say that when we talk about how social issues are, are all over sports right now, but those are more real-life right. social issues. They, they, they exist inside of baseball. I, I encourage everybody to read, read your piece. And, again, it's at bpmilwaukee.com, uh, and the, the headline is Rebuilding is a Scam. And I don't think the headline completely tells the story of, of everything you wrote in it. Uh, first and foremost, uh, what, what motivated you to, uh, to put all that down on paper? So... Um, I saw a lot of when, when the Astros won the World Series. I saw a lot of kind of a certain type of celebrating in the analytic crowd, where like basically justifying the the Astros' three consecutive dreadful seasons. You know, they put out pretty much the worst team since the expansion Mets in the early '60s, and there are a lot of people who basically were saying that the, the Astros process was vindicated um, by winning the World Series championship. And to me, that rung foul a little bit because I think that the way, the way talent moves around in baseball in terms of free agency, trades, and development, every single year there are enough runs scored and runs allowed changing hands, so to speak. You know, there's, there's, enough, there's enough volatility and enough, player acquisition um, uh, enough player acquisition moves that can be made that uh, you can contend or you can try to compete pretty much every single year. So, well, I think the Astros are a really great organization and they put together a great team overall. So I guess like at the end of the day, they did get the team they wanted. 
I, I just it just seemed a little bit of foul play to say like this justified putting this awful team on the field for three years. I don't think that that's true whatsoever. And I think I think that you can celebrate the Astros in certain ways without upholding the way that they built their club. I think you can say you can say that they did a pretty awful, non-competitive, anti-competitive um, process with their front office, and then say, well, yep, they did win the World Series, but you have to. You know, at what point is that outcome worth that price? And I just, I wanted to push back on that a little bit. I just don't think that there's ever a way in which that approach is justifiable, given the way that talent moves around in the game. First off, you're the only person I've read that's saying that, and and kudos to you. I always really appreciate people with with original thoughts who can back up what they're saying in a compelling way and that absolutely uh describes what you're doing right now let me let me throw this at you and i'm gonna bring in the kansas city royals on this as well because the royals had some really really horrible years uh in front of their two world series champ uh, world series appearances which included one championship i think if i went to an average royals fan and said were those horrible years at the beginning of Dayton Moore's tenure as GM, were they worth what you eventually got out of it? I think most would say yes, and I think the Astros fans would say it was worth it. Now, I'm not arguing your point that they could have done a better job being competitive in those years without sacrificing uh, the end result of having those high-end players being you know, in the big leagues in the 2017 season, that there's more they could have done in those other years, and it was just kind of a financial cop out those years but that being said at the end of the day wouldn't you think that Royals Astros fans are are okay with those losing seasons because they eventually got what they wanted which was a World Series championship I think that fans absolutely say that and I think if you look at uh, the comments on the article there's definitely some people who said that to me as well they said look you're the only person on the planet who thinks using losing teams to build up to a world series winner you're you're the only one basically saying that that's not worth it so i totally concede that from from the fan perspective there is this sense where fans watch sports championships and i guess i guess in that regard maybe it's just me i i don't know i'd be interested to know for instance like for you as a, i know you do this professionally so but like if you separate your what you love professionally about sports, why you personally watch it. Do you watch, do you watch sports for championships? Cause I'm not sure personally that I do. I, I think I watch sports for like a totally different reason. So I'm interested to know if you would also think the same thing about, um, like winning a championship would be like your ultimate thing as a fan. Yeah, you know what? And I think like we're going to really start dissecting words here. And no, on any given night when I'm watching a game, am I watching the game, you know, with the hopeful, you know, am I watching an April or a May or even a June baseball game, you know, with the idea that, okay, this team has to win a championship this year? No, and yeah, I think even Mark Atanasio would agree with that. This past year at the, uh, the Brewers uh, off-season deal that they do, the warm-up event uh, that always happens in January, Mark Atanasio admitted that he turned off the TV a lot that uh, the previous year uh, because of uh, the way the team was playing. So, no, I, I don't think people watch to watch for championships. I think people watch to be entertained by a, by a good game. Sure, sure. It's it's we could do we could do hours on this, and it's it's right. It is interesting and. I, I guess there I think you're the bottom line on all this is there does seem to be I don't know if culture is the right word but there seems to be a baseball teams who know they're not 
not even going to be in the playoffs and are at the beginning of the quote-unquote rebuild, it seems like those teams are more willing to just kind of sit out a year or two, for lack of a better term, to go ahead and let everything happen in the minor leagues and them not worry about you know trying to go get some borderline you know free agent uh, veterans and so forth that can maybe take you from uh, you know a 70 win team to an 80 win team, uh, be more compelling on a night in night out basis. There does seem to be this feeling now in baseball that if you're not going to compete, if you don't have a chance to be a postseason team, and you've got this stockpile of prospects that are still two or three years away, then why even worry about the big league roster? Right. And, right. I, and I. That could be a problem. Maybe it is a problem. I don't. It's, if it's a problem, it's not being talked about much until right now. Right. Yeah, I agree with that, and that's that's kind of my approach. Is that um, I guess I should say something about my arguments. Is that I always think I always think there's a truth out there that is worth getting at that I'm not always getting there. So, like, I don't I don't think that that argument that I put out captured what I was trying to say as best as I could. And that's why I keep revisiting this, this thing about rebuilding. Cause I think some people have noticed that I've been, I've been critical of the brewers rebuilding process over the years too. And, and part of the reason is, is since it's so accepted among fans, I want to try and push back on that and find other truths about it. Why, why in you're, you're ostensibly watching these games for entertainment and why do we accept as fans this this anti-competitive behavior from from multi-million dollar organizations under some sort of guise like well they'll be good in three years maybe or something like that it's i i'm i really like pushing back on that because i think it reveals more about roster building. You can you can kind of figure out like, well, on a year to year basis, what is available to to make to help teams win? You know, there were contending teams that missed on Jonathan VR in twenty sixteen. Like, uh, it took one it took one double A arm to pick up this shortstop who who was one of the best shortstops in the game that just needed a chance to play. The same happened with Junior Guerra, who was a waiver claim, and it's like the Brewers got those guys because they were rebuilding, but you have to ask yourself, there's competitive teams missing on that. There's all this talent that moves around, and you think, what is it about fan culture now that we accept our team saying, you know what, we might lose for a few years, but trust us, in four years it'll be really worthwhile. And so I just, I, I like to try prodding at that to find meaning. Like, what is that, like, why is this, important is it a valid strategy is it a good way to build a roster so i certainly concede that there's other ways to look at it um but that's kind of my my motivation for doing it is to just really i I guess try and test the motivations of that roster building strategy all right so let's let me finish off this because i want to i want to address something you just said because if you're it, let's go back to 2016 for a moment, and I think the 2016 Brewers team, the, the not that they were good from a win-loss perspective at 73 and 89, but they were a team that got better as the season that went along. You know, they gave the Absolutely. Cubs all kinds of fits in the second half of the season. We saw Craig Council emerge as a as a manager. We saw individual performances. Like there were a lot of compelling things about that 73 win team, and if 
if they go into that season and the approach is, okay, we're not going to probably be a playoff team this year, but we do need to give the fans a little bit more, so they go sign a couple B-level free agents that aren't really going to get you that, you know, maybe they become a 76-win team as opposed to 73. Maybe the team doesn't learn about Jonathan VR. Maybe he doesn't get that opportunity. Maybe the team doesn't learn about Junior Guerra. You know, the, the fact that right. there are – there are opportunities when you kind of go into that tank season for individuals who would not get an opportunity anywhere else to try to move into a, a core spot. So there would be the there would be the positive towards uh, just sit, kind of sitting back on it because it's going to give some some guys some opportunities at the big league level. Right. I think you've articulated that argument perfectly. I think I think that's a super valid point. And I should say, even when I am critical of the Brewers aspect of it. Let me be perfectly clear, the Brewers absolutely did not tank. You know, they certainly did not do what the Astros did. You could certainly see, you said it great, in 2016, they were they were building a team that was getting better. They were building a team that could develop at the big league level. So I do, I do totally agree with that. Um, so um, there are the specifics that make it, you know, a little bit clearer that I think the Brewers the Brewers are on the lighter end of the rebuilding spectrum, and I think they showed that in 2017, too, where they they pretty much bounced out of this thing in a year and a half, and now we might be looking at David Stearns as the fastest, one of the fastest GMs to come into this position and get a winner out of a rebuild. Like, he, he's going to have... He's, he could have a chance to change the industry in 2018. If the Brewers make the playoffs, they're going to be... They're going to be an industry-changing team. All right, that... Great stuff with uh, with Nicholas Zettel, and if you if you want to get more of it, all you got to do is go to BP Milwaukee, um, and and you can read him and the entire staff over there uh, does a great job. We're going to wrap up this portion of our conversation with Nick, but don't go anywhere. Uh, we're going to continue on because uh, this week, uh, just recently, not this week, but uh, here over the last uh, actually it was just a couple days ago, uh, the uh, prospect list came out uh, for uh, the uh, the baseball prospectus put together, ranking the prospects around baseball. We'll talk about the Brewers top 10 list that's next here on Brewers Extra Innings the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile the future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now it's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm and it's time to go down on the farm it's Brewers Extra Innings the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile we just continue on with uh, Nicholas Zettel the uh, the editor over at uh, BP Milwaukee and uh, you know Nick everybody out there whether it's Baseball America whether it's MLB Pipeline what you guys do at Baseball Prospectus everybody has the rankings uh, for the minor league prospects uh, can you talk to me a little bit about uh, what what happens at the upper levels at uh, Baseball Prospectus uh, as they put together uh, their ranking of the prospects. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Baseball Prospectus is, um, they're a little bit different than some of the industry sites in that um, they really rely on their own, they really rely on their own scouting team. So, they've got a whole set of guys working in the field. These guys are largely, um, a lot of them are front office prospects. Um, These are guys who um, are looking to be hired by MLB teams, and MLB teams do end up hiring baseball prospectus scouts so um you really if you uh 
and this is going to be a quick, quick and shameless plug. If, if you pick up that subscription at BP, you'll see it now every day. They they offer really in-depth field notes because they have all these guys in the field uh, doing their their scouting. So um, what ends up happening with these lists is that this is kind of the culmination of their their team observations throughout the year. So this is this is a really different look, and and I think. Sometimes you will see that baseball prospectus lists are different than other industry publications. That's a fine thing because, you know, lists are just one way to codify this. But what's behind that is this, this system of observations that this fantastic prospect team put together. So they put a lot of work on this. This is a whole year in the making. And um, so now you've got this culmination in what they did for the Brewers this year. You get the top 10 and they put about, close to another dozen prospects in there at the end um, to, to analyze like basically a top 20 list. So it's, it, they put quite a lot of work into this scouting effort. Let's, let's kind of go through it a bit and also do some comparison to, uh, to last year. First off the top prospect remains Lewis Brinson. There's some skeptics out there after he did not exactly make a big splash at the big league uh, level this past year, but most people who, no much know that Lewis Brinson is going to become a, a superstar, at least a star uh, in Major League Baseball. That seems to be the, uh, the the presumption about him. Was there was there any thought process? Do you think of Brinson not being the Brewers' number one prospect? Um, I think that would be pretty severe at this point because Brinson is so far along. Like he could basically have the opening day starting center fielder job for the Brewers. Um, and there are those questions about his hit tool. So someone someone I kind of think about is, like, you could ask this question of someone like Carlos Gomez, for instance, who took years and years to get into those tools. And uh, Lewis Brinson is a guy, he's, he's going he's gonna to take a little bit of time to develop at each level, but um, there's certainly no shortage of tools there. And so basically the the argument I could see if you want him off the top spot is basically how much you believe in Keston Hira's bat and him sticking at second base. So I think that would be like the best possible argument you could make is you could maybe say Hira's going to be an absolute star at second base and he has the best bat in the system. That would be the only way I think you could knock off Brinson. But the fact is, Brinson's so close and he has elite tools and so it's just really hard for me to think about him not being ranked number one. Keston here does come in at number two. Everybody raves about his bat. It's a lot of people say it's a it's a major league ready bat right now, and he's going to be pushed through the system very quickly. They list him at second base dash designated hitter. Uh, does does Hira have to be a second baseman for his value to truly be realized? Oh, that's a really tough question. I don't, I don't personally think so. But that said, it's like that bat is really that bat is really going to have to come around in order for him to um, to stick somewhere else. So basically, I guess the question is. If his bat isn't as great, he'll stick at second base better. But if his bat is as great as everyone thinks it could be, he'll be fine in the outfield or as a designated hitter. Um, but for that reason, I mean, this is totally speculating, but 
he to me seems like one of the most interesting candidates for is this one of the prospects that has a future in Milwaukee specifically if he leans closer to that designated hitter role. So that's going to be there's going to be a lot of eyes on that glove in 2018 because how he performs in the field is really going to, I think, define whether his future's in Milwaukee or if he's going to be, he might be somewhere else when he makes that impact at the MLB level. Big jump for Monte Harrison, and he has a really solid season playing at uh, Wisconsin at Carolina. He, uh, he's been playing in the, uh, the Arizona Fall League here recently, but that's a, that's a significant jump putting him as the number three prospect in the organization. Absolutely. And the thing is, he's, uh, this is the tough thing about prospect lists year after year is that theoretically, if you're looking at top roles in the system, Harrison could have been a top five prospect last year. If you're looking at just the overall, what he could be, because he's, he's an elite athlete. Um, I imagine there's a lot of people who would say he's the best athlete in the system and probably, one of the best athletes in all of professional baseball at the minor league level. So he's Monte's uh, Monte Harrison's just an elite, elite athlete. And I think there's always this sense that he was going to be an impact center fielder if it all clicked. But the problem is the reason he fell off of the top 10 rankings is that risk of how likely is it going to be that he's going to click. So he went through a couple tough years with injuries and, um, getting those baseball skills honed, and now now it's all coming together, and you can kind of see you can kind of see that top level there. So theoretically, theoretically, he never stopped being someone who could be an impact center fielder. It was just it's more or less how you weigh the risk in that, and now the risk it's just slightly less that he's going to be. You know, there's more of an MLB role forming for him right now. Kind of the same thing with Corbin Burns, a big jump after he was absolutely dominating this year, uh, a one ERA at uh, Carolina. Then he goes to Biloxi and pitches to a 2.1 ERA. Uh, this is another guy who, who made some big-time moves, and he gets rewarded uh, with, a, with a higher spot on the top ten list uh, at number four. Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, boy, I just I, I worry about Corbin Burns and the fan base. Oh, Brewers fans listen to this, please do not hype. Please do not overhype Corbin Burns. I think there's a lot of people who look at those surface stats and they say, you know, he's going to be an ace or he's going to be the top top pitcher on the MLB squad or something like that, or he could be a number one or a number two or whatever. And the the scouting is just a little bit behind the stats. So he's going to be, if it all clicks for him, he's going to be a really solid middle of the rotation pitcher. And like like we've seen with Chase Anderson and Jimmy Nelson, sometimes really solid middle of the rotation pitchers can take that next step at the MLB level. But he's the guy. He's a guy I worry about in terms of fan hype. That I worry that fans are hyping him a bit too much, and that maybe when he reaches the MLB, he might not exactly reach the hype expectations that fans have. But he's probably got the best solid pitching role in the system right now in terms of being a really solid uh, MLB uh, rotation depth, uh, middle middle rotation guy. 
I'm going to kind of st- skip over five, six, and seven. Brett Phillips at five. Look, sure. he's going to be a big league guy. San Diaz at number six. He essentially stay. He goes from four to six. But there's you know the the Keston here is who uh, who come into the system. So he's you know for for int- all intents and purposes, he's kind of in the same spot. Brandon Woodruff, same deal, probably a big league guy. Jump to Lu- Luis Ortiz, and, and he drops a few spots again. Not a huge deal from number five to number eight. But that being said, he didn't have an especially good season this past year at Biloxi where he goes four and seven with a 4.01 ERA and he, he, he as the season went along he didn't get better either which is sometimes a, a bit alarming that's still uh that's still a solid position for him is that more a case of not you know taking into account too much what happened over the course of the past year and just continuing to look at his tools and his uh, potential yeah, I would I would lean towards that latter statement. And what I would want to underscore with Ortiz is that he's such a young guy. Um, he's he's one of the arms facing one of the toughest aging curves for pitchers in the system. So the fact that he's already where he is in the system at his age is really pretty impressive. And it's just the the question that you're going to have to see is that conditioning and getting that any pitched. Up, he's gonna. It's gonna take him a couple of years to get to 150 innings level. So, I think there is some risk with that starting pitching role there. But basically, the Brewers got all the time in the world with him. There's there's really not an issue in terms of time. It's just a matter of keeping that conditioning going, uh, getting that uh, getting that stuff to go along with it um, throughout the season, and uh, making sure it all works up. 120 plus 150 plus innings so he's got a ways to go but just remember that he's he is extremely young for where he's at so he's there's a way to go with him same thing that I said about Asan Diaz I can say about Trent Clark just kind of staying in the same area going from number seven last year to number nine this year but the number 10 is Corey Ray and here's a guy who was the you know top draft pick uh, a couple years ago, I guess technically last year, uh, and, and he moves down from from number three to number ten. If you're not going to account, you know the the season of not so much success for for Luis Ortiz, where he kind of stays put. Why does Corey Ray get bumped down so many spots after the past year? So um, I think following up our Monte Harrison conversation, I think it's really mind what happened with Monte Harrison when talking about Corey Ray and basically um, I followed Corey Ray closely all year and I followed the baseball perspective scouting notes on him all year and um, we had some fairly detailed conversations for season prospect list we did as well and with Ray it's just a really specific mechanical thing with his swing right now basically his swing was having he, he was basically having trouble catching up with um, elite velocity. So so there were some hit tool questions that were coming up, and as soon as that came up, since he was a hit-first outfielder in a lot of ways, that kind of changed his role expectations, um, basically because there's more risk involved with meeting that role now. So, it's, you know... This is a case where I would really put as many asterisks as possible not to take the specific ranking seriously and only look at the scouting that is underlying it for the season and also then look at that for 2018. So if he, you know, hitters can make mechanical adjustments. So since it's something mechanical, this thing could turn around really quickly if that adjustment is made. So now it's just a matter of, of looking for those specific judgments 
uh, adjustments in 2018, and then um, it's a matter of seeing how that role follows follows that. So I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people are disappointed by that because they thought, oh, here's a college bat, he's pretty polished, and he'll jump through the major, he'll jump through the minors really quickly. But unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. But it's not like he's old or anything, and it's not like. I mean, if he makes the adjustments within the next year or even in two years and still makes the MLB, he's going to be, he's going to be an asset um, that can really help the Brewers. So um, this is a, really a case where I think the number of the ranking is less important than the scouting that's underneath it. And with Ray, it really is just one very, very specific thing. All right, last thing for you, and you have been incredibly gracious sure. with your time tonight, so I'll finish you off with this. Last year's 8-9-10, Lucas Ersig, Mauricio Dubon, Cody Ponce. All three of those guys had pretty good seasons this past year. There's still a lot of hype around them. Uh, none of them get a bump. They all fall off the uh, the top yeah. ten. Were you were you surprised about that? Um, Not really surprised because there's some things, again, I mean – Professional uh, professional development in baseball is a really tough thing. There's a, it's a war of attrition. You got so many games. You got so many. I mean, these guys are like year round. They're year round athletes now. Year round training, and I think it's just. I don't think we as fans talk about how tough it is for these guys to develop as well. And so, that none of these guys necessarily have knocks against them. I think you would still say they have some MLB roles, especially in the case of Erzeg. You know, he's he's still someone who could potentially be an MLB regular if it all comes together. And Dubon's a guy that, at the very worst, he's probably going to be a very useful, a very useful depth infielder. So he's someone with positional flexibility too that'll really fit the Brewers system. So there's there's just so many strengths here. But I think the fact is this is a good problem to have when you have a great MLB system. You know, these guys, it's just a deep system. There's a lot of risk, but there's a lot of tools um, and a lot of good roles that could come, you know, if, if that risk diminishes as they develop, but it's just, it's just tough, tough process to get these guys, you know, all on an upward trajectory every year. He is Nicholas Zettel. He's the editor over at BP Milwaukee Baseball Prospectus. Follow them on Twitter at BP Milwaukee. The website is bpmilwaukee.com. What do you guys have uh, coming up as we do come towards uh, meeting time here in the offseason? What do you guys have coming up uh, on the website? So we're kind of retooling, getting our uh, offseason coverage ready. Um, Something I know I've got in the works, I'm working on um, writing on some free agents. So I'm really, uh, really interested in someone like Jeremy Hellickson following Chase Anderson's breakout. So I'm going to have something specific on that coming up. And, uh, we're just, we're kind of changing gears. We're, I guess, biding time a little bit to get into the exciting part of the off season. So, um, I think it's going to, the, the coverage is going to follow suit real quick. Nick, I can't tell you how much I enjoy our conversations and, uh, we look forward to having right you on. on the show uh, again soon. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's been really great to do the the double segment. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about prospects, too. That was Nicholas Zettel over at uh, BP Milwaukee. Great, fun conversation, fun two-part conversation. I love every single person that we bring onto the program, and they're all uh, cool for very different reasons. I feel like with Nick, we talk about some stuff that doesn't get talked about very often. 
uh, in the world of baseball, and it's because he writes about it. And I try to, I try to do these conversations where I pick up off of where uh, on what they're writing about, and that's why those conversations tend to go in that direction. And that for me, that's right up my alley, especially in the off season. That is absolutely right up uh, my alley. We actually talked about it. at some point in time. He and I are going to do an extended conversation here on the podcast, and we're going to talk about the business of minor league baseball and specifically. Uh, how major league teams, uh, the way they treat minor league players, both both domestically and also you know Latin American players that uh, that come across, and, and the way they're being treated and the way they're being paid, it's something that uh, deserves to be talked about, and we'll get into that a little bit more in a future podcast. But for now, that is going to uh, wrap things up. By the way, this is episode number forty-one, which means last week was episode number forty. During episode 39, I made it seem like I was going to make a big deal that it was episode 40, and then last week I was doing it, and I forgot that it was episode 40. So it's episode 41. We're not that far out from reaching the uh, the one-year mark, and we have not missed a week of the podcast. Don't plan on missing a week, but you never know what might happen uh, around the holidays or something. But nonetheless, we are continuing to roll, and uh, glad that you uh, choose to uh, make us a part of your weekly, uh, weekly business. Again, if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that is great. Feel free to follow me and tweet at me on Twitter at Matt Pauly on air. We'll talk to you next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.